We're turning this morning to Psalm number 42, please. Psalm number 42. And whenever you find the place, we're just going to bow for a moment of prayer and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and ask for His help this morning. And can I say there's a crash at the back if you do need that? We're not driving you out, but that is, there are those facilities there if you need that. Psalm number 42. And whenever you find the place, let us just still ourselves and ask the Lord to come and speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we bow before thee today. And we thank you, Lord, in this lovely Sunday morning that we can gather around the word of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you have afforded to us again. And Lord, we need your help today, and we ask for that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. We pray today, Lord, that you would just remove in these moments that we have together, we pray that you would remove, Lord, everything that would rob us of the blessing of the Word of God. We pray that you will just settle us, Lord, in thy divine presence. We pray, Lord, for that sense of thy presence to come among us. And Lord, even that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God would have to say to us. We pray against every distraction this morning, everything that would divert our attention away from what you would have to say. And we pray, O oh God, that you would be pleased to come and minister into every heart. And Lord, every heart is here this morning. There is a vast variety of needs, and we pray that you will just meet that need this morning by a divine source. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for that fresh anointing, for that heavenly oil, oh, for a fresh anointing to glorify thy name, oh, for sin and self decease, oh, for a sense of inward peace, oh, for thy glory to increase. Saviour, anoint me now. We ask it in the Lord Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. This psalm, the 42nd psalm, is... The first psalm out of the second book of the Psalms. And what I mean by that this morning, the book of Psalms is really divided into five. The first book of Psalms, it goes from Psalm 1 to Psalm 42. And maybe you've never understood that or maybe never heard that before. But the first book of Psalms is correlated to the book of Genesis. It's the book that is all about man. And whenever you read the first section of the book of Psalms, from Psalm 41, or from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41, it, it ties up with the book of Genesis. Then the second book of Psalms is from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. The third book is from Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. The fourth book of Psalms is from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. And the last book is Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. This 42nd Psalm is the first Psalm in the second book of Psalms. Now you'll know the very beginning of our Bible begins with Genesis. And then the second book is the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is a wonderful book. It's all about the children of Israel, how they went into bondage. You remember how Jacob and his sons, they went down into Egypt whenever Joseph was the king. And my, how they sojourned there, and it tells us in the Word of God that after the process of time, and usually that is what happens to the life of a believer, after a period of time we can get accumulated to where we are in relation to God. 
And there was another king that arose that knew not Joseph. And you'll remember how he brought the children of Israel into bondage. The book of Exodus is a book of bondage. It's a book of blood. You'll remember in Exodus chapter 12 how Moses came, the man that God had raised up to deliver the nation and how they were to select the lamb and then they were to slay the lamb and they were to sprinkle and put the blood upon the lintel and upon the doorposts of the house. It's not only a book of bondage and a book of blood, it's a book of blessing. You think of all the blessings that the children of Israel enjoyed as they came out of Egypt, as they came out from the slavery of Pharaoh. There was the cloud by day to protect them from the sun. There was the fire by night to protect them from the frost. There was the manna from heaven. There was the quail. There was the water from the rock. There was the Red Sea that was divided. And again and again and again, they knew the blessing of God. But the book of Exodus is not only a book of blessings and a book of bondage and a book concerning blood. It's a book that has a lot to do with backsliding. You remember how the children of Israel, they came out by the mighty hand of the Lord, that strong arm, and he brought them through the Red Sea, and they saw the Egyptian army defeated. And then they came to Mount Sinai, And then you'll remember how Moses went up onto the mountain and there he was alone with God. And how the children of Israel, they they backslid. They they, they got an idol, a a cow, a calf, a bull made of gold and they worshipped it. And they fell away from the Lord and they knew something about backsliding. The reason why I say that this morning is because this 42nd Psalm is the first Psalm in the second book of Psalms that lines up with the book of Exodus. I want to get that into your mind today. And here we have in this 42nd Psalm, I want you to look at it as we go through it together. Look at the title. It says, To the Chief Musician. Now that relates to you and I this morning, the importance of this psalm. The the writer of this psalm wants the chief musician to be in charge of this psalm whenever it's going to be sung. He said, I want, I want to have the best musician that there is to play whenever this psalm is being sung. So this psalm that we're going to look at this morning is important. And whenever you and I come to the Word of God, we always have to remember this, that whenever God speaks to us, He has something important to say to us. That's a very elementary truth. Then look at the title again. It says to the chief musician... To mashel. Now that word mashel is the word understanding. It's the word instruction. Now I'm trying to build a little picture for you this morning before we go down into this this psalm together. This is a psalm that is an important psalm. This is a psalm that is an instructive psalm. This word is the word to be instructed. It's the word to understand. And I trust this morning that you and I have come to the house of God to get instruction. I trust whenever we read the Word of God in the morning, we do that to get instruction from the Lord that He would feed us and He would direct us. Now look at the title again. To the chief musician, Mashel, for the sons of Korah. There's not only the importance of this psalm and there's not only the instruction in the psalm, there's the implications of this psalm. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Korah. 
But whenever Moses was being directed by the Lord to set the Levites apart for the work of the tabernacle, there was a man by the name of Korah, and he was given the task of carrying uh, the instruments of the tabernacle. He had to carry, and his family had to carry, the Ark of the Covenant. What a precious thing to do. And whenever the tabernacle was going to be moved, and whenever the curtains were being taken down, uh, my, the family of Korah, what they would do is they would come to the veil, and they would take the veil down, and they would, they would put it over the top of the Ark of the Covenant that place where the Shekinah glory of God was. And then what they would do is they would cover it with badger skins and they, they would take the, the altar of incense, they would take the, the lampstand and the, the table of showbread and the Bible says they had to carry it, a burden upon the shoulder. God gave the family of Korah the important task of carrying these very precious, very precious objects. But what happened was Korah wasn't happy with that. You know, I'm sure every one of us here this morning we can identify with maybe God telling us and giving us something to do. And maybe there doesn't seem to be anything exciting about it. And you say, well, Lord, I, I don't really want to do that. I want to be in the limelight. I want something more important. Well, that's exactly what happened to Korah. He saw Aaron and his family, and Aaron was the priesthood. And what Korah did, he rebelled. Read about it yourself in Numbers chapter 16. He rebelled against Aaron and Moses. And he said, look, I'm no different from you, but I want to be able to go into the presence of God the way you can. He, he says, I want to go in behind the veil. I, I just don't want to be a, a carrier of burdens. I just don't want to carry the Ark of the Covenant. I, I don't want to just do these menial tasks. No, he said, I, I want to be important. I want to go as the high priest into the very presence of God. He wasn't content with where he was. And you read about it, he influenced 250 princes. And whenever he came with his rebellion towards Aaron and Moses, there was a wonderful thing that happened. I don't think it has ever happened since. It definitely didn't happen before. The Bible says that the Lord, he, the Lord God, he opened the earth. Uh, the earth, she opened her mouth and swallowed Korah up. And he was, he was judged because of his rebellion. But the Bible goes on to say in, the, in Numbers chapter 26 that nevertheless the children died not. My, these children that were brought up in the family of Korah, now listen to this, God spared them. And while their father rebelled and while their father Korah came against God and wasn't happy where he, he was put by the Lord, my, whenever God came in judgment against Korah, he spared the children. And thank God today that God loves to spare the children, that the Lord has a desire toward the young people. Now these children were set in the tabernacle for two very important reasons. They were put for service and for singing. And I can tell you they had something to sing about. Because I can tell you these sons of Korah, they could sing about the mercy of God. They could sing about the preservation of God, the grace of God. My, how they, the Lord came against their father, but my, he preserved them. And so you can see this morning as we go down into the psalm that we're going to learn something today. There's instruction here. There's an importance here. There's an implication here this morning that you and I can praise God to think of the mercy that he has had towards you and me. To think of the grace time and time and time again. He could have judged us. He could come against us in his wrath, just like he did with Korah. But he has spared us again and again and again. 
Now, I don't know who penned this psalm. Some people think it, thinks it was Hezekiah. Some, some people think it was, was Jehoiakim. Some people think it was David. I don't know. But there's some wonderful things that you and I are going to glean from this man, whoever he was. Look at verse 1. And you're going to see the desire that he had. He said, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now you can see the desire that he had. He starts to paint a little picture in his mind. He, he's talking about the little heart, the little roe deer. And he says, just as that little deer is panting, is longing, is craving for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now I'll give you three reasons why the young deer, the young heart, panted for the water brook. It panted for the water brooks in the heat of the day. And you've seen it. We were driving down the Dungannon Road the other day and we seen a little deer in the roadside. But my, in the eastern sun, whenever the sun would, would come down upon that little animal, you know what would happen? There would be a thirst that would begin to grow in its heart and it would long for the water brooks for refreshment. And I wonder, is that where you are along the road of life this morning? Just longing for refreshment. As the heart longeth, panteth, desireth, craveth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. There's another reason why the little deer would run to the water brooks. It's not only because of the heat, but because it was hunted. You would see maybe the wolf, or you'd maybe see a lion or a bear, and they would, they would latch on to the little deer, and they, they would pursue it. They were going to kill it and devour it. But the little heart always knew this. If it could only get to the water brook, it would be able to lose the scent. And there's not only this little animal would go to the water brook for refreshment, it would go to the water brook for rescue, to lose the, the scent that the, the predator wouldn't be able to follow. And maybe there's someone here this morning and the enemy has been hot on your tail all week. And maybe he's been relentless in your family and in your mind. And again and again and again, my, you can hear the roar of the lion. And maybe even this morning, that would be the language and the vocabulary of your heart. As a heart, as a little deer, how, oh my, he longs, he pants, he craves for the water brook. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. I need to be refreshed this morning. I need to be rescued this morning. Now, there's one other reason why that little animal would go to the brook. Was because it was hurt. My, if this little animal was hurt in the, as it walked the mountains and there was a wound, it would make its way to the water brooks, to the cool waters. You know what it would find there? It would find rest. And my dear people, here's the psalmist. I wonder if you can see the picture in your mind this morning. He said, this is a desire that I have this morning. I need refreshment. I need to be rescued. I need rest. As a heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. I think you can see his desire here. Now that ought to encourage all of our hearts and it ought to challenge every one of us because I wonder is there many of us here this morning can identify with that degree of desire. 
We may, we may have a small desire, we may have a, a little desire in our heart to go through with God, but I wonder this morning, can we identify with the psalmist when he looked out over the hills and he saw the little deer running towards the water brook, my thirsty, hungry, weary, looking for rest and refreshment and for rescue. And this is what the psalmist said. He said, Lord, as that little heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God, my soul it thirsteth for the living God. You can see that. I think you can. Now, there's not only the desire that he had, there's the departure that he knew. Look at verse, verse 2. He said, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Here was a man, whoever he was, and wherever he was, he was no longer in the place where he used to be with God. Look at it again. He said, when shall I come and appear before God? There's a distance that has come between this man and God. I don't know if anybody in his family was aware of it. I don't know if his friends were aware of it. But he says, I don't have that intimacy with God that I used to have. And he said, I would love to get back to the place where I used to be. He was no longer in touch with God. And my dear people, let me say to you this morning, and I'm just talking to you what the Lord has laid in my own heart. We need men and women in these days that are in touch with God. Men and women that know him, men and women that live with him, men and women that crave after him, men and women that long to be with him above the attractions and the distractions of this world, that you and I would have a longing to go after God. He longed to be back to where he was. Now I know this morning, because the Lord has given me this message, that there's people in this hall this morning and you're no longer in the place with God that you used to be. There used to be a day in your life whenever you were near to him. There used to be a day in your life when you used to hear him. You used to enjoy him. You used to be so intimate with him. But all that is gone. And maybe even the desire of your heart this morning is these very words of the psalmist. When shall I come and appear before him? How long will it be before I recover what I lost? How long will it be before I have an audience again with the king? And I'm sure we all have had those experiences when we go into the quiet place and we read the word of God and we pray and the heavens are shut. My, there's a barrier, there's a blockage between you and I and God. And here the psalmist, he says, I long to be back to where I used to be. When shall I come and appear before him? This was a man, as we're going to see very shortly, he knew all about standing before men, but he wanted to stand before God. Let me ask you a question, my dear people, this morning. When was the last time that you had an audience with God? When was the last time? My, the nation and the world yesterday were standing looking at a king. And he's only a man-made king. And you know, my dear people, I want to tell you, whenever you and I get into the presence of God, we'll not be too worried about getting into the presence of King Charles. We'll not be too worried about this world's goods, just to have an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what David said in Psalm 63. I wonder, can you identify with it this morning? My soul thirsteth for thee. 
My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land to see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David used to see the power of God and the glory of God. He says, I used to see it. I used to be so intimate with him. He used to come and reveal himself to me and I'm thirsty to be back there again. My soul thirsteth for the living God. Now I wonder if you can see that this morning. There's a psalmist here and his desire. There's a psalmist here and his departure. When shall I come and appear before him? And here's another thought for you to think upon. There's a psalmist here and his despair. Look at verse 4. When I remember. Now there's some of you here this morning. And maybe you don't really like to remember where you used to be with God. Maybe you don't like me saying this morning that you used to have a real intimacy with God and maybe that pricks your conscience and those thoughts start to come back. My, whenever you were in the farm or in the field or even in the home, God used to be so near. And whenever I say that to you this morning, it pricks your memory and you say, oh, I remember. And this is the very thing that brought the psalmist to despair. When I remember these things, he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. Look at it again, verse 4. I had gone with the multitude. I went with them all in the past tense. You see that little phrase there? I went with them to the house of God. In our language today, it is this. He says, I, I used to lead them to the house of God. In other words, I used to be the one that was more eager than everyone else. He says, I was the first one to read the Bible in the morning. I used to be the first one that used to pray in the morning. I used to encourage my family to go to the house of God. I used to be the first person in the prayer meeting. I used to have a real desire. I was so eager for the things of God. I not only remember that, he says, I went with them and I led them. I used to be ablaze for God. I used to be on fire. And the most saddest thing about it is this. It was all in the past tense. All in the past. Then you can see the misery of this man. My, the joy. Look at verse 4 again. He talks about the voice of joy and the voice of praise. But there's no joy now. And there's no praise now. There's no power now. There's no presence of God now. All in the past. Now I want to encourage your heart this morning. And this is God that is speaking to some of your hearts here today because I know that God has given me this word and I know that there's some of you here can identify with us. And you used to be so eager. You used to be on fire. You used to be able to lead your children to the altar. You used to lead them as an example to the house of God. You used to lead them around the word of the Lord. You used to, you used to, you used to. But you're not doing it now. And I tell you this man, I can tell you his memory made him miserable. And if he hadn't known the hymn, he would have been able to sing it. What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. It says in Psalm 137, when the children of Israel went down into bondage in Babylon, it says that we sat by the river of Babylon and we sat down and we wept and we mourned when we remembered. They hung their harp upon the willow. 
The song was gone. They said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And my dear people, whoever you are this morning, whoever this word is for, whoever the Lord is putting the arrow of conviction into your heart this morning, there's no song, there's no joy. The presence is gone. The power is gone. The eagerness, the fire, the passion is gone. And there's his despair. There's not only his memories, there's his enemies. Because I can tell you, my dear people, this morning, the world knows whenever God's people are backslidden. And your children will know. And the unsaved will know. Those that you work with and those that you rub shoulders with every day, they will know whenever you and I are no longer in the place where we used to be. Look at verse, verse 9. He said, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. Look at verse 10. He said, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily, Where is thy God? Look at verse 3 again. While they say continually, Where is thy God? And here's a man that used to be in touch with God. Here's a man that used to be on fire for God. He used to lead the people of God. He had a fire in his belly that the world couldn't put out. He had a hunger for the word. He had a desire for prayer. He was so intimate with God. But the world got to know whenever he was out of touch. And they reproached him. The word is they mocked him. And they said, where is your God now? And you know the saddest thing of it all? He never answered them. He had no answer. And my dear people, this morning, if this is where you are, and the world started to know that you're not in touch with God, and maybe they've said to you, do you know your God? And you can't answer them. What has God said to you this morning, sir? What did God say to you during the week? Did you feel his presence? Did you know his power? Did you hear his voice? And you can't answer that this morning because it's a reproach. And hear the very world. They mock him and they reproach him. The Bible says continually. And then it says in verse 10, daily, they, they really rub it into me that I'm no longer in touch with God. Is it any but wonder this man is in despair? Is there any wonder this man's language of his heart is as a heart panteth for the water brooks? Lord, I want to get back again because the world is reproaching me. My, there's my memories. There's my enemies. And then there's something else. There's his miseries. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my meat day and night. Look at verse 6. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down. Verse, verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Look at verse 11, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? That word disquieted is the word troubled. He said, I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed where I am in relation to God. And my dear people, would to God that more of us would be disturbed where we are in relation to God. My, that our hearts would convict us if we're not in touch. He said, I'm disturbed. My heart, it's my heart. It's not my head. It's my heart is disquieted within me. I'm disturbed. I'm troubled. I'm no longer in the place where I used to be. Look at verse number 7. Deep calleth on the deep at the noise of thy water spouts. Now, there's only one word that we could use this morning. To describe a man or woman 
that has this terminology today. Just one word. It's a word that we don't like to talk about. You know, whenever somebody commits suicide, we, we lower our voice and we, we don't like to say it too loudly. Did you hear? Well, this word is exactly the same over only in the evangelical church. And we lower our tone and we, we sort of don't like to talk about it, but yet there's maybe even many here this morning, and this is how you would be described. You know what the word is? It's the word backslidden. That word backslidden is the word to withdraw from. It's the word to retreat. You remember whenever Naomi was coming up and she was coming with her two daughter-in-laws and she was coming back again to the house of bread and Orpha had gone back and she turned to young Ruth and she said to Ruth, she says, you go back, my dear, for thy sister-in-law has turned back again. It's the word here to be backslidden, to turn back. It's the word to retreat. It's the word to walk away from. And it was Vance Havner said this. If we're not walking with God, we're walking away from God. There's no neutral ground. It's like a conveyor belt. We used to have a treadmill, and it's in the garage now, but I used to run on it all the time. But I learned this. If you ran on a treadmill and then you stopped, you always went back. There's no neutral ground. And that's exactly what it's like in the Christian life. We can't stand still because whenever we do, we automatically lose ground with God. And I wonder this morning how we're progressing with God. I wonder how we're gaining ground with the Lord. Because if we're not going forward, we're going back like a treadmill again. We lose ground and we lose ground so easily. We all know something about it. I'm not here this morning to point the finger at you because we all know something in our own heart about backsliding. We think that a backslider is a man that goes to the pub. We think a backslider is a man or woman that used to be in fire for God and they're maybe at a football game today or they maybe are involved in immorality. And all of those things are true. If a person is really born again and they're involved in those things, they're backslidden. But the Bible says that backsliding starts a long time before that. The Bible talks about the backslidden in heart. You see, my dear people, we could come this morning and we can look the part, but what is the heart like? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That was the one thing that the children of Israel were so prone to do, was backslide. You read through Nehemiah chapter 9, and it gives a little summary of all of the backsliding of the children of Israel. Jeremiah is the book of the backslider. Thirteen times Jeremiah talks about backsliding, and the Lord had to say, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Now, I want you to listen to this as we go on this morning, and you're listening so well. In Jeremiah 3, this is what God says to the children of Israel. They had the temple, they had the sacrifices, they had the priesthood, they had all of the laws and all of the ceremonies, but this is what he said. He said, Turn... Oh, backsliding children. In chapter 5, he said their backslidings are increased. In chapter 7, he said that they have went backward and not forward. And in chapter 8, they, he says to them that they have slid back by a perpetual backsliding and they refuse to turn on to me. Now, I believe this morning in eternal security. 
I believe when a person is genuinely born again. I believe whenever a man or woman, boy or girl, repents of their sin and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, no man shall pluck them out of my hand, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. But there's a phrase that Leonard Ravenhill said, I was listening to it recently, and it has really gripped my heart. He said, we do not need to be so much concerned about eternal security in these days, He said we would need to be more concerned about false security. Now, can I say this morning, if you are a person and you're just pretending to go under the guise of being a backslider and you say, well, you know, I'm backslidden and I'm not walking with God. If you're not disturbed this morning, if there's no sorrow in your heart, if there's no conviction over sin, if there's no longing in your heart to get back with God, you know what Peter would say? Make your calling and election sure. Because the nation today is full of people that say, well, I'm backslidden, but I'm going to get to heaven. The Bible also says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You go through the New Testament and you see how many backsliders you can find. You'll only find a handful. You look at the evangelical church today. And I would say this morning that there's many people that are going under the guise of being backslidden who were never even born again. They never slid forward in the first place. And so I'm encouraging you this morning to really make sure that you're born again. And whenever a man or woman is born again, my, I can tell you, a person that is backslidden, they will be a miserable person. They they will be disturbed in their heart. My, their memory will haunt them whenever they think of the enjoyment and the blessing of God. And thank God this morning if that's how you're feeling today, because that's a wonderful sign of being born again. Now, I'm going to close this meeting by just saying three very simple things. I want to say as we close about the cause of backsliding, the consequences of backsliding, and the cure. Now, what's the cause? What is it that could creep into your heart or my heart, or maybe it already has crept into your heart, and the tentacles of the world have got their hands upon you, and you can say like the psalmist, when shall I come and appear before him? Well, I just want to simply lift a few people out of the Bible this morning. And I think a wonderful man to bring up into the meeting today would be Abraham, the father of the faithful. And you remember how Abraham was an heir of the Chaldees. And God wanted to start a nation for himself. He didn't even pick a young man. He picked an old man at 80 years of age. There's some hope for you, some of you old people yet. And here he called Abraham out of the heir of the Chaldees and called him. And my, you'll remember how Abraham... My, he received the blessing of God and he built an altar and then he built another altar at Bethel and the presence of the Lord came and he was in communication with God. And then there was a famine happened. There was a famine that came to the land and it says that Abraham journeyed towards the south and he went down into Egypt. He went down into Egypt and he told lies. He he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister and that was a lie. And you remember how Pharaoh was going to take Sarah. And my Bible says that the Lord plagued Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh came to Abraham and said, What is this thing that thou hast done? Because the consequences of this man's backsliding was starting to affect other people. And you remember how Pharaoh sent Abraham away and gave him herds and cattle. And there was a young girl that he gave by the name of Hagar. 
Now you remember how on later on in the story of Abraham, how he, he did the very same thing again. He went down to Amalek and he, he told Amalek that Sarah was his sister and she wasn't his sister. And God was going to kill Amalek and the Lord comes to Amalek and says, you're a dead man. And Amalek goes and gets Abraham and says, Abraham, thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to have been done. The ungodly man was more wise than the man of God. You remember how he went and he took Hagar and he lay with Hagar and Ishmael was born and we're feeling the consequences of it to this very day. Now what was the cause? I'll tell you what the cause is. And it may even be your cause this morning for your backsliding. You know what it was? Prayerlessness. He didn't pray. He never asked God about going to Egypt. He never prayed about Hagar. He never prayed about going down to Amalek. He just did it in his own intentions and in his own desire. And the consequences of Abraham's decision is still being felt in the world today. He didn't pray about it. And can I say this morning, my dear parent, that you and I as parents in this day and generation, we have little feet that are following behind us. And here was Abraham, he jumped the gun and he didn't talk to God about it. And I can tell you for 13 years, he never heard the voice of God. For 13 long years, he was marked by prayerlessness. Now, we, we try to encourage as many people to come to the Permian. This assembly was built in prayer. But my dear people, I want to tell you this. If you have no desire for prayer, and if you have no desire to meet alone with God, come into the prayer meeting, or either at home, I want to tell you this, you're backslidden. Maybe you say, Stephen, that's very, very strong language that you're using this morning. That's what the Word of God would say. If you have no desire for prayer, I don't care if you read a Bible the size of a give a wall of a house. I don't care if you wear a Douglas suit. I don't care what, what you wear or what you say. If you're marked by prayerlessness, let me tell you again, and I look into your eyes and I'm saying it, you're backslid. My dear parent this morning, always remember that those little children that we have in the house, if they don't see us praying, my, there's no point in asking them to pray. He was a man that was marked by prayerlessness. Let me bring another man to you this morning by the name of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a beautiful man. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was anointed with oil. And my, you'll remember how in 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Philistines came. He was only in the job seven days and the enemy came against him. And my, he waited for Samuel and Samuel promised that he would come and there was no sign of Samuel. And what Saul did was he waited the seven days and he took a bullock and sacrificed it to the Lord. He did something that he shouldn't have done. And whenever the smoke was still ascending, Samuel came and said, What hast thou done? For thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God. And then you remember on over in chapter 15 that Samuel came to Saul and says, Look, God has a job for you to do. He wants you to go and kill Agag. He wants you to deal with the Amalekites. And he wants you to slay them all. And my Saul went down and he spared King Agag and the best of the cattle and the best of the animals. And whenever Samuel came, this is what Saul ran out to meet him. And he, he ran out and he said, Heal, I have performed the commandments of the Lord thy God. And Samuel said, What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in mine ear? He said, Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, therefore God has rejected thee. 
And here was Saul, the man that prophesied. He died on Mount Gilboa by suicide. And he said, I have played the fool. He went to witchcraft because he couldn't hear the voice of God. He was so departed from God. My, the peace had gone. The power had gone. The anointing had gone. And he was troubled. He had a spirit that troubled him. And he lay dying on Mount Gilboa. And he fell upon his sword. And he said, I have played the fool. And David said, how are the mighty fallen? And here was Saul, the, the king that prophesied, died with suicide. And he was a backslidden man. Now what was it? If Abraham was marked by prayerlessness at that stage of his life, I can tell you what Saul, king of Israel, was marked by. He was marked, I can tell you there, by unsubmissiveness to the word of God. <laughs> Maybe you had to be nervous on me. And maybe there's someone here you say, well, I can do what I want. Maybe you can say this morning, well, I'll just come to this church and I'll do what I want. Whether it's the table, I'm not going to go through it all this morning. You know all about it. And you say, well, I'll do this, but I'll not do that. I will not yield to the word of God. Well, I can tell you if Samuel was here this morning, you know what he'd say. He would use the very same words that he said to Saul. He said, Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, therefore God has rejected thee. And he wouldn't yield to the word of God. Now, my dear people this morning, I'm not here to beat you. But I can tell you this from my own experience. When you obey, you always get blessed. And the blessing of the Lord is pressed down shaken together and running over. And here was a man's backsliding that commenced with an unsubmissiveness to the Word of God. Now just let that sink into your heart this morning. What about Eli? You'll remember Eli was the priest. My, he was there at Shiloh. He had two sons, Phinehas and Hophni. And you remember how they lay with the women and they, they committed immorality and they committed adultery. And young Samuel, the Bible says, that knew not the Lord. My God had to speak to Samuel because Eli was that backslidden. He didn't even know the voice of God. And the Lord spoke to Samuel three times and he says, I'm going to do something in the house of Israel that the ears of every man that hears it will tingle at. You remember how the Philistines came and they, the two sons of Eli took the Ark of the Covenant and they went down and the enemy took the Ark of the Covenant and they, they, they slew the two sons of Eli, Hophniel and Phinehas and whenever the man had come back from the battle and Eli was sitting on his chair and says, what happened at the battle? My, the man of man said, the Ark is gone, the glory is gone, Ichabod, the glory is departed and thy two sons are dead. And Eli, that man that used to be in touch with God, he used to be in the very presence of the Lord. He was the priest in Shiloh. The Bible says when he heard these things, he fell backwards and broke his neck. <laughs> I wonder this morning how many necks would need to be broken. I tell you that's serious. It wasn't the Philistines that killed him, it was God. That's, that's, that's wild. And you know what it was in the life of Eli? You know what it was that made him a backslidden man? Whenever Samuel, whenever Samuel heard the voice of God, God said this, My Eli, I will do something in his life that all the ears that hear it will tingle at, because he knew the wickedness of his sons and restrained them not. 
There was an unwillingness to deal with sin. And my dear people this morning, no matter what sin it is, whether it's adultery, whether it's lying, whether it's stealing, whether it's slander, whenever you and I give way to that sin and we're unwilling to deal with it, you know what has happened? You've taken the first step on backsliding. What about David? <laughs> David was that man of God on the king of Israel. He was on the throne. He's a sweet psalmist. He slew the lion and the bear. He knew the power of God in his life. He knew what it was to slay giants. He knew what it was, I can tell you, to be mightily used by God. He was a mighty man of valor, the way some of you used to be. And David was more safer on the battlefield in the will of God than in the bedroom out of the will of God. And there came a day whenever he lay in his bed. The Bible says at the time when kings should go forth to battle and he lay in his bed and he got up in the afternoon from his couch and he went to his balcony and he looked out over the rooftops and then he saw a woman and she was just as much to blame as he was. And he looked at her. I tell you, he looked. And he looked again. And he looked again. And he not only looked at her, he lusted after her. And then he lay with her. And then he lied about her. And he covered the whole thing up. He killed her husband. And for 13 months, David had no psalm. He never penned a psalm in those 13 months. He never heard from God. He was no longer intimate. There was no song in his heart. There was no spring in his step. There was no vital, vibrant relationship with God for 13 months of his life. And one day, whenever he was sitting on the throne, my, there was a man opened the door and he banged the door. I think whenever Nathan opened the door unannounced and came into the palace, I think he hit it a bang. And that door swung open. And I think David knew. I think David knew God has found me out. And Nathan came and he tells him the little parable. You know all about it. And David says, the man that has done this thing, he'll surely die. And then Nathan looked into his eyes and said, David, you're the man. You've done and whenever David heard that, this is what he said. He said, Nathan, my sin is ever before me. And then he took his pen and he began to write Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew your right spirit within me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And the sin of adultery laid hold of David's life. Now what was it? What was it that made David backslide? I can tell you and the consequences of it went into his family. The consequences, Nathan said, you've caused the very heathen to blaspheme. What, what was it that caused it? Idleness. The man that used to be in the battle was now in his bed, just lazing about with no purpose. He stepped away from the battle. He, he said, it's too fierce, it's too hard, I, I want to relax. And my dear people, let me tell you this, whenever you and I pull out of the battle, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in witness, whether it's in service, whenever we draw back from the battle, the devil will be there and he'll be waiting for you. And he'll do with you and I what he did with David. And David said, it's my sin as ever before me. Oh, I would love to go on this morning. Let me lift just one other man out and then we'll close. What about Jonah? Remember Jonah? Jonah used to be in touch with God. Jonah used to hear the voice of God. There came a day whenever God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. He heard it clear. He wasn't touched. 
And my Jonah, what he did is he ran. He, he got up and he went down to Joppa and he found a boat that was going down to Tarshish and there he got down into the belly of the boat. And my, I can tell you, God sent a storm after him. And backslider this morning, I have a word from God to your heart that God is going to send a storm. He's not going to let you stay where you're at. No, no, no. And here was a man, he was the most dangerous man in the whole of the Mediterranean. God was after him. <laughs> and he was lying down in the belly of the boat. And my, there was a storm went. And all of the sailors had never seen a storm like it. They started to throw out the goods out of the side. And throw out the, 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 the goods out of the side. And then they got their wee idols. And they bowed before them. And they kissed them. And they said, oh, help us, help us, help us. And then I can see the captain going down into the belly of the boat. And he maybe lifts a, a bale of barley or maybe a bag of goods. And he, there's a man sleeping. And Jonah is sleeping. <laughs> And he says, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God. He couldn't do it because he was out of touch. And he said, man, let me tell you, the problem here is not a storm in the Mediterranean. The problem here is that I have run away from God. And they said, what sort of a God have you got, Jonah, that you would run away from? He says, I'm trying to flee from the presence of God. He has called me to do something, but I don't want to do it. And he ran and he ran and he ran, but God sent a storm. And my dear man this morning, let me tell you this, her woman, if you're living in willful sin, God's going to break a storm over your life. And it's going to be as big as a storm in the Mediterranean. God knew all about it. And my, he came to the place, and it says that the sailors, they, they rode hard, they tried to save him. But my dear people, it doesn't really matter who's on your side, and it doesn't really matter what people say in your ear. Jonah was the problem, and God wanted to get to him. And there came a moment when they threw him out over the side into the Mediterranean, and it says that God had a whale, a fish prepared for Jonah, and it just swallowed him up, the best meal he ever had. And Jonah went down into the belly of the fish. And he says, I went down into the deeps. And he said, the seaweed went round my neck. And he said, I went down into the billows. And now I was there. And you'll know very well whenever a submarine goes down into the water or a scuba diver, you know what happens? There's a pressure there. There's a pressure. And I can see Jonah down in the belly of the whale. And God starts to put pressure on him. Starts to squeeze him. Starts to put pressure on him and says, Jonah, I have called you to do something, but you're on the run from me now. But I'm going to keep the pressure on you until you give in. And came a moment in Jonah's life and he said, from the belly of the wheel down in the bottom of the Mediterranean, he says, I will pay my vows unto God. I'll do it, Lord. And then he said, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. And here this fish came I to the very side of the shore and vomited him out. And he was a man that was back on track. Back on track. And the Bible says the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. And thank God this morning there's a restoration. Time has beaten me this morning. There's not only the causes and there's many more. There's not only the consequences. Thank God there's a cure. Peter was restored. Jonah was restored. David was restored. Samson was restored. Abraham was restored. John Mark was restored. Thank God he restores the years of Lucas of Eaton. He can restore the song again. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He can restore the soul. My, he restoreth my soul. He can restore you to where you used to be. And the psalmist said in Psalm 5, read it later on, he says, yet will I praise him. He says, there's coming a day when I'm going to praise him again. He says, I will praise him for the help of his countenance. I'm going to feel his presence. For I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. 
You know that hymn that we sang together to start? It was penned by a man who was standing listening to George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was speaking on the judgment of God and Robert Robinson was a young man and he was listening to Whitfield and he shook in his shoes and he got saved. He became a Methodist minister. He used to pray five hours a day. He used to preach the word of God in and out. And he penned that lovely hymn, Come thy fount of every blessing, tune our hearts to sing thy praise. He penned that last verse. Listen to it. Listen to it. Oh, may we, may we get that into our heart this morning. Prone to wonder, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And one day in a backslidden state, he walked away from God for many years. Lost the fire in his belly, lost the presence of God and the anointing upon his life. And as a backslider sitting in the back of a little carriage, a horse-drawn carriage, my, there was a woman there filled with the joy of the Lord. And she was singing hymns and she started to sing, Oh, come thy fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Calls for songs of loudest praise. And Robert Robinson in the back of the carriage, the tears started to run down his eyes. And then she got to the last verse. I would love to have heard her sing it. Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let the grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Can you hear? Prone to wonder. <laughs> Prone to wonder. God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal Seal it for thy courts above. And she looked at Robert Robinson and the tears were coming down his eyes. She said, sir, did I offend you? Did I hurt you? And he said, my dear, let me tell you, I'm the un unhappy, miserable wretch that penned at him. He said, would to God I would be back where I used to be. And she turned to Robert Robinson and said, my dear man, he can restore the years, the locusts of Eden. Are you backslidden today? Down in your heart? No longer close to God? My dear people, come back to him this morning and get it right. Get it right with the Lord.